Hi, we've got a jam-packed podcast from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about a secret apartment in the Eiffel Tower and the official protocol for announcing to the world that we've made contact with extraterrestrials. Plus, you'll learn about sorrow cycles and what solar eclipses have to do with the way calendars are designed as part one of our first ever Moon Monday miniseries. Let's satisfy some curiosity. There's a secret apartment in the Eiffel Tower. And it's a lot more important than just being a spot where you can catch a cat nap. I mean, if you asked someone where to find the best view in Europe, the top of the Eiffel Tower would be a pretty good option. Imagine waking up in a cozy apartment with colorful wallpaper, wooden cabinets, and a grand piano. You'd sip espresso and nibble a croissant while gazing over the Parisian skyline from nearly a thousand feet in the air. Sounds like Gustave Eiffel was onto something, right? A luxurious getaway, maybe? Well, after Eiffel and his team finished building the tower in its secret apartment in 1889, it was used for a lot more than just lounging around. The Eiffel Tower isn't actually supposed to exist right now. Originally, it was supposed to be a temporary exhibit meant to broadcast France's industrial power to the rest of Europe. It was slated for demolition in 1909. Eiffel didn't really want that to happen, so he contacted the world's most prominent scientists— The hope was that they could give the tower a legitimate scientific purpose so it wouldn't be destroyed. Once the tower had been built, the secret apartment served as a laboratory for atmospheric measurements, astronomical observations, and physics experiments. And in 1903, the French army used the tower for wireless telegraph experiments. The tower was able to broadcast wireless signals as far as North America, and that made it indispensable to the city. Eiffel himself kept the apartment furnished in a simple style— And although plenty of elites wanted to rent it out, he kept it private. He only entertained guests on occasion, including Thomas Edison. You can see mannequins of Eiffel and Edison having a chat when you tour the apartment, which today is open to tourists. The last time I was at the Eiffel Tower at the top, I saw a guy propose to his girlfriend. Yeah, that seems right. (laughs) I would imagine that happens like every hour. Probably. (laughs) One reason why our calendars look the way they do today is because the Babylonians knew a thing or two about solar eclipses. Yeah, you heard that right. And I'm talking about stuff they knew as early as the 8th century BCE. We recently spoke with science writer Dr. David Warmflash about the history of the moon. And here's what he told us about ancient calendars, the Greek philosopher Thales, and more. There were cycles that were known in in Babylonia that we now call Soros cycles. And you could know that every 18 years and certain number of months and certain number of days, there would be a, a repeat of a solar eclipse. And if you put three of those cycles together, it would repeat at the, roughly the same spot on Earth every 54 years or so. And Thales had learned this from Babylonian astronomers who had discovered it back in the, in the 8th century BCE when there was a Babylonian leader, King Nabonassar, uh, who was, if anyone was pro-astronomy, it was Nabonassar, and he put astronomers to work collecting data and recording those data to get the timing of everything. One, one thing were these cycles, the solar cycles, and the other was that they figured out that this solar year and lunar months would coordinate of every 19 years. So you could have these 19-year cycles that later Meton of Athens, a few centuries later, would discover. And you could have a lunar calendar that stays in sync 
by adding days or taking away days from the month. So you'll alternate between months of 29 days and months of 30 days. I'm talking lunar months. Uh, some days you might have 30 days, two months in a row, but it's basically alternating between 29 and 30 days, a practice that went all the way back to the ancient Sumerians. But under Nabonassar, they figured out you could link it to the solar calendar or to the solar year. And in that way, you're not going to have say a holiday that's usually in the winter or that starts off in the winter ending up in the summer like you do on the muslim calendar in the muslim calendar it's a purely lunar calendar so the holidays are shifting around over the year on the jewish calendar it's not a purely lunar calendar it's a lunar solar calendar it's a metonic cycle of 19 years and it repeats every 19 years and that came from the babylonians Next week, you'll hear a seriously awesome story of what the Greek philosopher Thales did with this knowledge a couple hundred years later. See, David touched on a lot of really interesting subjects in our conversation, so we're going to try something new. For the next few weeks, we'll be running a series called Moon Mondays, where we'll teach you something new about the world that was impacted in some way by how humans have looked at the moon throughout history. In the meantime, you can follow David on Twitter at Cosmic Evolution, and you can pre-order his book, Moon in Illustrated History, on Amazon. You'll also find links in today's show notes. Speaking of the moon, did you know that if we find aliens, there's actually an official protocol for announcing it to the world? Is it attention, curiosity, daily listeners? Cody is obviously an alien. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take that under consideration. Okay. But seriously, though... The actual protocol involves several organizations that you probably never knew existed. So the International Academy of Astronautics, or IAA Institute, That's one. has a detailed plan for how to announce the news that we've discovered aliens. One of the functions of the IAA SETI Permanent Committee That's two. is to establish protocols to be followed by SETI scientists in the detection, analysis, verification, announcement, and response to signals from extraterrestrial intelligence. In 1989, the IAA adopted what's called the Declaration of Principles Concerning Activities Following the Detection of Extraterrestrial Intelligence. That's three, kind of. Yeah, that's kind of a tongue twister, but it was revised in 2010, and these days it's mainly referred to as the First Protocol. You can read the First Protocol on the SETI Institute site, but here's a general overview of the nine-item list, in case you run into any aliens anytime soon. First, if you think you've received a signal from aliens, double-check. Quadruple check. The most plausible explanation for whatever you've discovered has to be extraterrestrial intelligence. If it's not, then go back to the drawing board. If you still think it's aliens, then only tell your fellow researchers and observers so they can independently confirm what you've found. If everyone agrees it's aliens, then you can tell more researchers and scientists. Specifically, you'll do this through the Central Bureau for Astronomical Telegrams of the International Astronomical Union. That's four. (laughs) Then, and only then, do you do the next thing. Tell everyone. Do it fast, and then make sure all of your data is available to the international scientific community. We're talking publications, meetings, conferences, FaceTiming scientists on the other side of the world, the whole nine yards. Then, permanently record and store your evidence as securely as possible. Back up that data. You'll need help from the International Telecommunication Union That's five. to protect the data if it's in the form of electromagnetic signals. The SETI committee of the IAA will keep an eye on your discovery for the rest of time. Just don't try to send a message back to the aliens. That is a whole different can of worms. Yeah, if you thought five-ish organizations was a lot, oh boy, <laughs> we're not going down that rabbit hole. 
Read about today's stories and more on Curiosity.com. Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes without five organizations needing to be involved. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network. 